The Adam Crowley Show. Are you putting me in a position to pull a Phil Kessel or something like that right now? Is that what you're saying? I think you did pull a Phil Kessel, and now we're calling you on it like we're calling Dunlap, baby. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Am I on the air right now? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. In 17 minutes, we've got the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. A lot of NFL news today. A lot to get to as it relates to the Pittsburgh Steelers and tomorrow's preseason game number one. But yesterday, Sidney Crosby turned 31. Uh, Not long after Evgeny Malkin turned 32, we always like to sneak hockey in when we've got an opportunity, and we always like to sneak it in hockey or otherwise, with our friend Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. Jesse, thanks so much for making the time today. You know, it was my birthday, too, yesterday, Adam. You know that. Was it really your birthday yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. It was my birthday first, Sidney Crosby. Damn it. And you and I are Facebook friends? I should have known. Jesse, I'm sorry. Happy birthday, man. I didn't even get a text. Tom reached out. Did you really, Tom? Yeah, I did. I sent him a DM no. on Twitter and saying happy birthday to him. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. You can't You can't be showing me up like that. As the producer, Tom, you should be texting me oh, and telling Tom. me to text Jesse. Oh, Tom. That's Terrible great. friend. Great How old are you, Jesse? That's not the point here. Okay. We'll get into Sidney Crosby then turning 31 years old. And he didn't slow down last season. Evgeny Malkin at 32 did not slow down either. Uh, I'm wondering how long you think they both have to put up similar production to last year. Yeah, I. Well, it's it's interesting because I think both players have gone about it in such a different way. Um, I don't know, Adam. Maybe it's crazy. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I look back at Sidney Crosby last year, and I saw him slowing the game down. I think even a little bit. And it's not to say that he can't still play at a high pace and a high level, but. His vision and his anticipation has always been so many notches above everybody else that I think as he gets older, you're seeing less of him trying to dice through two or three defensemen um, and, and, you know, you know, he's, you know, have these unbelievable individual efforts. It's more about his vision and passing lanes now. And we're seeing him go behind the back more. I think he's been a little bit fancier in the passing department. Uh, whereas I think of Guinea Malkin still wants to go through two or three guys and right. hasn't really changed all that much. So, uh, they're each doing it in their own way, but have been highly effective at it. There's been no dip for either one of them. Um, at this rate, you could probably see them stay competitive like this, you'd think, through 35. And uh, I think once you get there, you reevaluate, and you might find you might get another two, you know, one or two years out of them at, at this level. And I wouldn't put anything past either one of them. When I look at Sidney Crosby and where he will be around 35, even if he does dip production-wise, he could still be your number one guy, and he could turn himself, I think, into still be a possession monster, but also, I think, shut down the other team's top guy. I think his game could stay more at the top end longer because I think he could evolve more differently than Malkin. I agree with that. and I even think back to when Mario came out of retirement uh, and look at the kind of player he turned Jan Herdina into. You know, I mean, and at that point... You know, Mario is you know so much older and, and, and played the game in a different way. I think in a similar fashion, it became more about elevating the team around him uh, rather than uh, you know trying to do it by himself. Uh, I think that 
Jake Gensel's, you know, good in his own right, but you know, some of the players that have played Sidney Crosby and Gibbons. Uh, you know, might still be in the league because of the points he put up on Crosby's wing. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's the direction you're heading. Uh, and not to say, though, that Evgeny Malkin can't also become that kind of guy as well. Um, certainly not a slouch in the puck distribution department, but also not the first guy you think of, uh, you know, when you think of Sidney Crosby-level passing. But, it, it, you know, mind might be willing, but if the body isn't, you know, we might see uh, Evgeny Malkin transform into that same kind of guy. So in the athletic, you've been looking at Sidney Crosby, and you're trying to point out some of the things that Sid does that maybe don't quite get noticed by everybody. And what are some of the things that you found that might have even surprised yourself? Um, I think he just does everything the opposite, uh, the way that you would teach people to do it. Um, and you know, if you even just think about what a faceoff looks like in your mind. You got a picture of two guys, you know, sticks on their knees, hunkered down, trying to get over top the dot, you know, battling for foot position, trying to step over the line as much as they can, and, um, you know, really you anchoring themselves to the ice uh, in an effort to be physical and win draws that way. And Sidney Crosby actually, when he takes draws at him, he steps out of the, the hash marks, which is just, <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, and, and, and he can cheat. And this goes, you know, what got me thinking about this was that somebody reminded me of the, the comments that Logan Couture made about him you know, in, the, in the Cup Final 2 uh, 2016-17. And I think, that, that, is he cheating? Yes. But I think he's doing it in a less flagrant way than a lot of other guys are. I know he's trying to encroach on the dot. I don't think he's cheating with his foot positioning. His hand motions are just so quick. He starts his motion to win the draw as the official is in the process of dropping the puck. So is he cheating? Yeah. But the official has also, Adam, committed to a point where he's not going to just stop his motion and wave him out. So Sidney Crosby's found, in my opinion, the dead zone of face-offs uh, to where you can, you know, just, again, using your arms, forget about hunkering down and, and bearing in and being physical. He's just swiping them back with hand motion, using that flat blade sort of to build a roof over the puck so the other, the other player can't get to it. Uh, and he's cheating in a way that, you know, the officials, um, they've already committed by that time, and, and they're not going to play dead. And it's really given them an opportunity to use speed in a different fashion, I think. I, I really look around the National Hockey League, I don't see any centers that are taking face-offs this way where they're actually stepping out of the circle, uh, out of the hash marks as they win the draw. You know, that's interesting, and it, it kind of brings me to what I wanted the overarching discussion to be about today. When you looked at Peyton Manning in his final year, in Denver, he was not good at quarterbacking, but he was good at getting in and out of the correct play, reading the box, handing the football off whenever he knew that they'd be able to get chunks, and then just being efficient and being able to move the chains that way. And I think Sidney Crosby thinks the game of hockey at such a high level, much like Peyton Manning, and it's things like that that as he does get older, I think we might even see more and more of those things creep into his game just because he thinks it at a higher level than anybody else. And he can kind of look at those uh, market inefficiencies and find a way to do them efficiently and kind of cut corners. Right, and you would assume, I mean, obviously, you know, to your point about Peyton Manning, that, that Sidney Crosby's not going to have the physical limitation that Peyton Manning right. at that age, too. So, I mean, that, that makes him even more lethal. And, and, and I'll give you an example. I think you can actually watch this occur right now. Uh, and, and you think about, you know, sort of pre-concussion Crosby and, and post-concussion Crosby and as he gets older, I, I think you watch him. He's still great defensively, Adam. Nobody will ever yeah. take that away from him. That's probably the most underrated aspect of his game. I think it's how dogged he is in the back check. But Sidney Crosby, at the end of a long shift, knows how to play defense without working hard. And that's not a knock on him. 
Uh, I would rather a guy be in position where the puck is going to be. You know, maybe it puts you a little bit out of position, you know, where the puck presently is, but you're thinking ahead of where everyone else is. You know where this play is going to go. You cut over to that area to be able to win that loose puck, get it out of the zone, and make a line change. Other guys, uh, you know, they'll stand right in front of the puck carrier and freeze up, you know, just tree up and, you know, look to get a block uh, and, or a deflection. Or they'll, they'll chase, uh, you know, guys around like a maniac at the end of a shift and they don't have the energy to do it. Sidney Crosby just skips all that. He's just going to get to where the puck's going to be. He's going to win it. He's going to get it the zone, line change, live the fight another day. And I think as you watch him go, he makes these little subtle adjustments. And every time the league catches on to what he's doing, he comes back the next year with something new that you haven't seen yet and it takes you all year to adjust to that. Uh, so I think he's just always got one step ahead of the competition. And, you know, going into, you know, 35 and, and beyond, uh, that that's what's going to keep him in this thing. Jesse Marshall joining us from The Athletic here on the Crowley Show. You mentioned before that Malkin will still try to go through a couple of guys, and hey, it works. In the goal he scored against Philadelphia in Game 1 when the Penguins just routed them, uh, it showed that he can still have the flair for the spectacular. I wonder when he does lose a step, if he'll evolve. I wonder what he'll do to make himself continue to be effective from a point production standpoint if he can't go through two guys or if he will change anything. And he's had a couple knee injuries, too. Let's not forget. Right. Um, you know, th- those were years ago, but th- th- that stuff accumulates. Uh, I think that the... the in my mind, the version of Evgeny Malkin that exists beyond getting into the neutral zone at 100 miles an hour and steamrolling over everybody is one that's playing well in the boards, protecting the puck well, uh, and, and really getting at it down low. And people don't often think of that when they think of Evgeny Malkin, but I think back to times, uh, you know, in that, that first cup run in 2009 at him against Carolina, you know, he, he scored that uh, behind the back, uh, the backhander goal over Cam Ward's shoulder. But yet, remember, he possessed the puck by himself for 25, 30 seconds before that. So, you know, he, he's capable of getting in there and doing, doing some dirty work. And I think that as time goes on, and you'll see Malkin's way of, of slowing the game down will be to, you know, get a good cycle going. Um, and if he can exploit that not only himself, uh, but by finding open teammates in that motion and, and chaos to get out of a good cycle. Uh, so I, I think that you, you might see him opt to start dumping it in and going and, and getting it done the dirty way. Uh, in the future, moreover, you know, like you said, trying to go two, two or three guys at a time. Jesse, let's pretend for a moment that their production does start to dip, not this year, but maybe in a couple of years. They could still be a bargain, though, right, due to their contracts, can't they? I mean, look, at, look at some of what got handed out this year. Uh, and I know the situation in Ottawa is bizarre and probably not a good example for anything, but Mark Stone, you know, look at what he's making <laughs> in Ottawa this year. He's making over $7 million. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Crosby on, on 8.7. I mean, that's just, uh, that's unbelievable. And, and you look at what happened to the Chicago Blackhawks uh, after they won their Stanley Cups uh, and, and the situations that they got themselves put in, you know, with the cap that led them to miss the playoffs last year. One of the reasons that the Penguins aren't having that problem is because of the discounts that those two players co- uh, took uh, to keep them competitive in a cap era. Nobody ever mentions that, Adam. You know, when you think about these teams and how they manage themselves and how they stay competitive over a long period of time uh, w- without sending those contracts overboard. I mean, you just look at what Chicago did and, and the money that they handed out. Uh, nobody took a discount there. I think that's the difference, and I think ultimately that's why the Penguins and, and Jim, Jim Rutherford, by extension, have been able to you know, pull these deals off at the end of the year to get these guys in, uh, is, is having that luxury from two-star players that, that were willing to take a step back and uh, you know put the team first. I hate list radio, but... 
at the risk of sounding like a hypocrite half a second after I say that, Jonathan Taves, not a top 20 center, according to NHL Network. And he was the guy that was getting all the praise when they're winning the championships. And I wonder, you, knowing the game as well as you do, has his play changed all that much? Or is it just because he's not winning championships now? And does that not scream about the flaw that we have in valuing winners above anything else? Well, it's the, the, the guard is changing, Adam, in hockey. And the way we evaluate players in my generation is grotesquely different uh, than the way the players are evaluated in the generation that came before us. Uh, and I, I think that as you see younger general managers like Kyle Dupas and John Chagan in Arizona uh, step into the fold, they're going to change those cultures. But for right now, to your point, winning is, is an intangible. Uh, it's something that gets, uh, you know, gets your, your stock up like nothing else. And that's not to say that Jonathan Taves, you know, Taves wasn't an important player to those Blackhawks teams. He took some tough deployments, played some great defense, scored some timely goals. Uh, but but it's viewing him in this microcosm of the playoffs uh, and, and in a winning culture at that. Uh, and I think that that elevates his stock to an unreasonable level that you look at his body of work over an 82-game season. Is it bad? No. Uh, is it in the top third of the league? Also no. Uh, is it in the lower half of the second third? Probably. Uh, I think that's just reality. And I, I think as time wears on, and, and this isn't even an argument to, you know, to count analytics in the game, but I think as time wears on, you're starting to see these players get evaluated differently and some of those old, I guess, quote-unquote tropes of the game, uh, I think they're going to die off uh, within the next 10 years. Jesse, I know you're getting old. I know it was your birthday yesterday, uh, but you're still getting all my offensive zone starts. All right, buddy? All right. <laughs> you might, that's, that's probably a good waste of them. I, I'll take neutral zone if you have it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the time, as always. All right. There he goes. That's Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. That was a good conversation. That's a great hockey conversation I in the middle of August. I was entertained, man. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. I need puck. I need puck back in my life. And we gave it to you. I'm going to listen to the podcast when I get home on ESPNPGH.com. And I'm going to put my hand down my pants as we discuss Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Did I ruin it for you now? It'll be the same as when you did the interview. Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Sidney Crosby got rubbed by the glove on power play. And they're, did I say rub? You guys looked at each other like I said rubbed. And, and then you added by the glove. Oh, you got rubbed by the glove? You're going to have to yank that one, Tom. Please go ahead and pull that for me. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. few minutes <laughs> we're gonna learn a thing or two about doctoring from an excella health doctor uh, we are partnering with excella health throughout Steelers season and during Steelers training camp looking forward to talking to dr leger i think i made him a little bit more french i think it's leger no it's leger uh, it's leger leger hey he fits right in with our hockey conversation for the gotta, last segment you gotta come in with the je at the end dr leger 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 uh-huh. We'll get to that coming up in a few. Uh, we're also going to get to Jerome, the intern's sports update. We might do that at the top of the hour. Maybe we'll do that coming out of Jerry Dulac. who will be joining us in about 15 minutes to talk about tomorrow's preseason, baby, game number one. Before we get to all that, though, Tom, buddy, what time is it? And now it's time for 
The Great Unsponsored Football Segment, filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Aaron Rodgers flipped out on his receivers the other day. Ben did the same thing the other day. I wonder if there's an overarching conversation going on in Green Bay about whether the receivers are divas or not. No, you're just going to wind up crediting Aaron Rodgers for being a leader. A-Rod, what a leader. He's a great guy. He's a great quarterback. He's the best. Does this mean that there's a bad culture in Green Bay? Does this mean that they're distracted in Green Bay? That they're not running the correct routes in Green Bay? Well, we won't know because everyone's got Aaron Rodgers burp in their burps. It just depends on where you are. But the same thing happens everywhere. Mark Madden's crucifying Juju Smith-Schuster because he's not running the right route, saying the Steelers are distracted. I guarantee well, Tia, there are at least five or six or seven or eight or nine wrong routes run every day in every training camp across the country. Whether that's high school or college or the pros, it's happening. You want to know why? Because it's August 8th! And on August 8th, we know three things. It's the day after Jesse Marshall's birthday. It's the day after Sidney Crosby's birthday. And it's also only two weeks in the freaking training camp! Why do we got to turn that into content? I guess I'm happy Mark did, because now I've turned his content into my content. I didn't have to create the content. He did, and then I jump off of that. It is the media cycle, after all. Jarvis Landry wants the Browns to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. Again, just to jump off the last point, that's a weird thing to ask for. Uh, that's a distraction. That becomes a story. It was on ESPN.com today. Was that in Pittsburgh? No. Was it New England? No. Okay, but it was in Cleveland. Another NFL franchise. Is there a distraction going on in New York right now? Oh, I think there is, because they're trying to get stuff done with Odell Beckham Jr. These things that are happening in Latrobe, that are happening in Steelers camp, are happening everywhere. And it's not sexy anywhere. It's just what happens at this time of year. Here comes the hot take. I was going to save this for the hottest take of the day. But I'm going to do it right now and at the hottest take of the day because I think it deserves to happen twice. The Browns, 1-15 two years ago. 0-16 last year. are going to beat the Steelers in week one. How about that? How's that for a guarantee for you on August 8th? Now you know four things about August 8th. It's the day after Sidney Crosby's birthday. It's the day after Jesse Marshall's birthday. It's the day that signifies two weeks in the training camp. And it's the day that I, Adam Crowley, said that the Browns are going to beat the Steelers week one. They almost did it last year. But they got Tyrod Taylor who's got a quarterback rating in his life of 91. They've got an okay offensive line. They've got some weapons. They've got Duke Johnson to throw the football to. Miles Garrett's going to plant Ben Roethlisberger. <gasps> They're winning that game. They're winning it. They're going to shock the world week one. If the Browns are going to play hard for one game for Hugh Jackson, that moron, it's going to be week one. Week one in front of a packed Cleveland Browns municipal butt stadium. 
where there's going to be 17,000 rabid, angry dogs, spelled D-A-W-G-S. If it's going to go down, that's when it's going to go down. And you know why it's going to go down? Because I'm saying it on August 8th that it's going down. I don't know if I'm going to stick to that. I'll decide in a couple of weeks. That's the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Woo! Now it's time to talk to Dr. Leger from Excella Health. Doctor, thank you so, so much for joining me here on the program. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Excella Health? Well, uh, so I'm, up, I'm part of the uh, orthopedic and sports medicine team. Um, so orthopedics, you know, deals with, uh, deals with the musculoskeletal system, the bones, joints, muscles all those kind of injuries, uh, injuries we see. I mean, so that's, that's very common, you know, for people to have, you know, knee pain, shoulder pain, all those kinds of issues. So when, that, when those, you know, aches and pains start interfering with their life, then they come and see us, and we, you know, we try to get them fixed up and back to doing what they want to do. When it comes to sports medicine, what are some of the more common injuries that you would have to deal with? Yeah, so uh, the rotator cuff tears are very common. Uh, if, if they don't have a rotator cuff tear, and we're, you know, in terms of the shoulder, you know, impingement, tendonitis type stuff, um, those shoulder pain is very common for uh, uh, for people. In terms of the knee, probably the most common thing I see is, you know, from the sports medicine side of things, is meniscus tears. Uh, but arthritis is is very common, um, so I see a fair amount of that as well. When it comes to the meniscus tears, is that where you go in arthroscopically? Is that how you would fix that yeah uh cer- certain people are are candidates for surgery um you it depends on how much sort of underlying arthritis they have and some people have a fair amount of of arthritis in their knee and they also have a meniscal tear but um you know if you if you go in arthroscopically and clean up that meniscus a lot of times people don't benefit a whole lot because if they have a lot of underlying arthritis it doesn't you can't really address that mm. through a scope uh, but if they're if if overall their knee cartilage is in pretty good condition, and they have a meniscus tear, and they're getting things like people can feel meniscal tears moving around in their knee. They feel like something's just something's just not where it's supposed to be. Something catches, clicks, makes their knee want to give it out. And those people are good candidates for an arthroscopic surgery where we go in with incisions that are you know less than a centimeter, centimeter even. They're very tiny incisions. Uh, but we're able to see everything in the knee joint, and we can, you know, we can smooth down those uh, meniscus tears. We can, uh, you know, repair them if the if the meniscus is in good condition. Otherwise, um, so there's a lot we can do through the scope in the right patient. How much has the technology changed and the treatment options changed when dealing with the knee? Uh, when people got hurt in the '90s, before that, uh, in the National Football League or whatever, we would see that sometimes they would not come back anywhere near the athlete that they were before. And now you look at Adrian Peterson, he came back after some knee injuries. Evgeny Malkin came back here in Pittsburgh after a knee injury. What's changed? Yeah, well, um, the arthroscopic surgery, you know, has really revolutionized, like, what you can do sports medicine-wise. That's not just just not just not the knee. That's, that's every, you know, many joints in the body, the shoulder, the elbow, the hip, uh, 
you can you can see the joint so much better when you put when you put a camera into the joint. You you have a much bigger field of view. So what you're able to address uh, through um, you know through the through the scope is much better. Um, you know, than trying to work through a, a small incision, even sometimes a large ex- incision and exposure, y- you can still see better with, with the scope. So that's, that's probably the first thing. And then a lot of work has been done in terms of, um, you know, uh, different anchors that we can use to repair, you know, soft tissue structures like the labrum in the shoulder or the hip, uh, rotator cuff tears. Um, you know, the equipment that we have to use and the implants that we use have all been, you know, they come from their first stages where they were, you know, metal and, and larger in size, and now they're much smaller. The materials are stronger, so they hold better. Um, just everything is continuously updated. So, um, you know, so results, you know, in turn have gotten have gotten better and better. Um, and sort of like the new, you know, the, the um a lot of the research that's being done now is, is with biologic-type treatments, so platelet-rich plasma, stem cells, things of that nature, sort of where a lot of the research focus, you know, time and money is being uh, directed because right now there's really no, there's, there's no way for us to, uh, you know, regrow cartilage as it was, um, you know, at, like the cartilage that you were born with. So... Uh, stem cells is a way that we could potentially do that, but it's still, you know, at very early stages. So there's a ton of research being done in that, that area now. And, and once that, you know, once that's figured out, you know, we'll see another huge step in, in what we can do, you know, to, to help people. Well, Doctor, keep up the good work. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk down the road. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. No problem. Doctor, doctor. Give me the news. Danny Boy tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Do you need a Snickers? You seem a bit hangry. Man, (laughs) the last two times we've been in studio, I have been amped up. Just to be back with you guys, like the last two times we've been together, the three of us, I've been hyper as all get out. Uh, But, Danny, I think you need to send that question over to buttonpusher970 on Twitter.com. Shirtless Tom. Because I was hangry before the show. The, the, the entire show I was. He was hangry. I was being a douche because I was trying to edit together the cheese teas, and I was afraid about the time crunch and wound up still finishing about 20 minutes before the show, so I didn't need to do it in the first you, place. You were, you were so hangry at that point that you did the Crowley move. I know when you're really angry, like you don't say anything, you just turn around and ignore the situation and walk away five feet and then turn back around. I know at that point Crowley's pissed. Like, that's the telltale sign. I just don't want to flip out. I just try to keep it in as much as possible, and then you take it out on your wife when you get home. I just got to learn to, like, poke you right at that moment. So then you lash out at Tom, and I can get entertained. I mean, put a shirt on. Coming up next, Jerry Dulac from the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. What are we looking for? Ain't tomorrow's preseason game number one. It's the Crowley Show. Adam Crowley. Come with me, and you'll see. It's a world filled with all the meat that you want. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Finally, finally, we're going to have a preseason game to talk about. Camp is fun. It gives you stuff to talk about for a while, and then it just gets stale 
Jerry Dulac never gets stale. He, of course, from the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network, joins us now on the Crowley Show. Jerry, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Adam, good afternoon. I am uh, en route to the fine city of Philadelphia. I'm not that far away, but uh, always good to be with you. Big test for the Steelers, the Super Bowl champs, huh, Jerry? Oh, yeah. I can't. I mean, I don't know how Ben's <laughs> going to solve that defensive line, you know, stop Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, it should be a big game. Oh, that's right. Nobody, none of them are playing. Yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody's playing. Uh, although the people, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you know the anticipation. If you know if there is for a preseason game, you know, everybody wants to see the rookies. They want to see Terrell Edmonds. They want to see James Washington, and they want to see Mason Rudolph. You know, I'll go down to Jalen Samuels as well, and then a couple of the guys who kind of stood out at camp. Um, but you know, everybody's going to want to see Mason Rudolph. And uh, but when you know when you look at their numbers, one and two pick who've been nothing but impressive since OTAs, you know, they want to see him in games, too. And they want to see Mason Rudolph, you know, get hit. They want to see Mason Rudolph be get under pressure. You know what I mean? And, and, and how not only how he handles it, but all these guys. You know, it's one thing, as you mentioned, to be in camp. And even for the coaches, you know, we talk about certain things. But, hey, they want to see him in game action and see if what they are seeing at camp kind of transitions to a game. Jerry, one guy who's not quite as sexy, but I am interested in seeing is Chooks Okafor. Uh, if I'm, yeah. pro- I can never pronounce his name right, but uh, yeah, Okorafor, yeah, Okorafor. I worry about the depth at tackle very seriously because uh, if if you lose one of those guys, he's the guy I think that's going to be next up, and he looks the part. But you don't want to be counting on a rookie left tackle protecting Ben Roethlisberger in a playoff race. Yeah, it's, yeah, Adam, it's the most important position on the line. And my colleague, Ed Bouchette, and I were talking about that on the drive out, you know, how they're going to have to go out and get themselves some some veteran help at tackle for a backup, you know, and they thought they had that with Bryce Harris, uh, but uh, that didn't work out very well, obviously, when he failed the conditioning test. So, um, but I, I, I like I like shoots. I mean, I, I'm no expert. But you can see he has good feet. You know, he has a soccer background, and he sets himself well, and he doesn't retreat. He's willing to engage right away. So um, we'll see. We'll see what he's like. But, yeah, I agree. I, that's another guy that uh, people, uh, that they want to get a look at. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see how he does. How do you think the snaps are going to work out uh, at quarterback? Do you think that we're going to see Mason Rudolph get more well, than the other two? Yeah, I don't think, no, I don't think there's any doubt we're going to see him. I would expect Landry Jones to start with the regulars. It's only fair. You know, then as the preseason goes on, you know, maybe they want to take a look at Mason Rudolph with the first team. But I, I'm, I'm, I would imagine uh, almost be willing to bet Landry Jones will play a series or two. And then they'll probably go to Joshua Dobbs out of respect to, you know, quote, seniority. And then I think you'll see Mason Rudolph play I, I would bet a good bit of the second half. Certainly one full quarter for sure is my guess. Now, I haven't been told that, but uh, I would imagine that is, uh, that's going to be the case. But their plan is to play all three. But even as Mike Tomlin cautioned yesterday, it's what, what, what their plan is and sometimes the way things work out, you know, maybe, maybe series get cut short. They want to take a longer look at a guy. You know, maybe that will change a little bit. But I think you'll see all three of them for sure. What's odd is you're going to not see Marquise Pouncey, obviously, which means B.J. Finney is going to be your starting center, which then means your starting left guard would be Matt Filer, and he is also your backup to the backup center. So if one of those guys goes down, things get a little bit squirrely, don't they? 
Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't play Davidson Castro either. He wouldn't play Ramon Foster, but he's not going to be playing him anyhow, as we know, because he's hurt. Uh, you know, Antonio Brown wouldn't play and won't play next week either. Neither will Ben. That's always the plan. I would have, I would imagine the same with uh, uh, David DeCastro. I don't expect to see Cam Hayward tomorrow. Um, uh, I don't know that he'll play in, in Green Bay either. I mean, you got to rest. Uh, you know, you've got to take care of your key guys. Right. Um, and uh, so, obviously, some of them are going to play, but it's always the young guys. I mean, the veterans are just trying not to get hurt. They're only going to play at a certain level, uh, you know, of intensity. Um, but, you know, I think the rookies are going out there. The young guys, the first-year guys, they're going out there 120% because they're trying to get somebody's attention and make this team. Jerry Dulac joining us from the Steelers Radio Network and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. One of the narratives that's going on around the airwaves here in Pittsburgh is that Juju Smith-Schuster is maybe getting a little big for his britches and I can see a little bit of that with the way that he behaves on social media, things of that nature. But how do you think he's gone about his camp? How do you think he's playing? Well, I saw our colleague Mike, uh, Mark Madden taking the task. Not only he's been doing it on uh, on Twitter, but I saw his piece in, in uh, online um, saying he needs to be more professional. Um, I've seen some of that last year, uh, you know, in the locker room. But, uh, and, and, you know, you, you kind of, you know, hope he learns and finds his way as a professional. Um, and sometimes his youth, um, it's not youthful exuberance. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's a, its kind of a path, you know, uh, that you don't want to see him take. It's not its not a bad pass. It's not a criminal pass, uh, like anything, a path or anything like that. It just, you know, it's kind of just how, um, you know, uh, you know how you how you behave as a professional, and the job that you need to do with beyond the football field. But uh, you know it's going to be a different year for him. Um, defenses aren't going to be surprised by him. He's not going to be the three guy. There's not going to be Martavis Bryant taking deep coverage, uh, you know, toward him and opening up lanes underneath. And that being said, I see nothing about Juju Smith-Schuster to make me think. He'll be anything less than what he was on the football field, um, you know, this year. You think James Washington can take some of that uh, off of him, some of the pressure off of him? Well, he's a rookie, and 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 just like Juju last year, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get acclimated and and the offense to get comfortable with him. But what I like about him, uh, Adam, is you know he's he's five eleven, two hundred eight pounds, or whatever that number is. And, you know, he's built more like Anquan Bolden. He's not your typical long-striding deep threat, but he was the best deep threat and the best big play deep receiver in college football last year. What I like about him is his ability to kind of elevate and win combat catches. I think you could go back in Martavis Bryant's uh, three years and not count one combat catch he made. Uh, And this guy will make those types of catches. He's going to be a different type of big play receiver than Martavis Bryant, but I think in time, I think he's going to be a very good three receiver for them. Jerry Dulac joining us from the Post-Gazette and the Steelers radio network. Uh, Jerry, we know that Antonio Brown did return yesterday and was around the team. Was there anything there that was significant, or was it just the kind of thing where A.B. is going to be around practice and he's going to be working out if you allow him to be there and maybe you send him away just to say, hey, we don't need you re-aggravating this injury. Yeah, if I know 
Antonio Brown, I would guess that he told them he was going to go to Florida for this water therapy treatment, and they had no problem with it. Um, you know, they don't – it isn't like they need him around because they know his work ethic. They know his production on the field. It's almost the same as why they, quote, tolerate uh, some of his social media antics and, you know, the Facebook Live thing, and not that they're thrilled with it. But, you know, they like Antonio Brown. More importantly, they trust Antonio Brown. And so if he feels that's what he needed to do, then at this point of the season, uh, hey, they're, they're all on board. They know his injury had, had it was nothing that needed surgery, uh, and he thought that was what was best for him. And uh, I don't think they had any problem with it uh, uh, whatsoever. Jerry, great stuff as always. I appreciate the time. Safe travels and the rest of your way to Philadelphia. And uh, we look forward to hearing you on the network pregame tomorrow. You got it, brother, and I'll catch up with you next week. That sounds good. Thanks again. Jerry, All right, Adam. Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. It's not just Mark, then, that's noticing that Juju Smith-Schuster has been a little rambunctious and is a big-time wannabe social media star. Not even a wannabe social media star, just a bona fide now social media star. But I think the distinction that Jerry made there was important, and that is Antonio Brown is an Instagram star. He's a social media star. He's also the best receiver in football. Juju Smith-Schuster was one of the best rookies in the league last year while doing some of these same things. And they're not violent criminals. They're not drug addicts. They're not getting suspended by the league because they're hitting that pipe. I do think that needs to be said. You can act as if everything is about me, 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 but still be productive to the football team. Antonio Brown cares about his stats. He also thinks that getting the statistics gives the team the best chance to win, and I don't disagree with that. I think Juju Smith-Schuster wants to put up for himself, but if he wants to put up for himself, I don't think that that necessarily negatively affects the team. Now, the social media stuff, if you're not paying attention to meetings, if you're running the wrong route in the game and it goes the other way for a pick six, things of that nature, those do hurt the team. But until that happens, the last thing I saw from him was he got three touchdowns and seven shots. And the last thing I saw before that, was him racking up 900 yards as a rookie in the National Football League. So I'll give Juju the benefit of the doubt until Juju does something so obnoxious, so rambunctious, that I'm not going to give it to him. Because if you'll remember, Antonio Brown is Facebook living after a playoff game, and he plays the next week. Why? Because he puts up as well as social media zinning in it. Made up a word. Because I'm the crown man. If you put up and you do that stuff, I'm all right with it. And you should be too. Andrew tweets at underscore Adam Crowley, you carry ESPN Pittsburgh on your back, son. No, we do. Me and Brian and Tom, at FBomber73 on Twitter, at ButtonPusher970 on Twitter. Was it obvious that I was pausing to remember there? It was. Hmm. Nah. You're getting notice. better at it, though. Didn't notice. At 970 button push. Nope. Oh. You had it the first time. At Button Pusher 970. There you go. Coming up next, we get Jerome's next sports update. Oh, baby, I'm fired up. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to hear from Harry Carey as well, who's got a Pirates update. Who's better? Tom? His friend Harry Carey? <laughs> or his friend Jerome? It's a Crowley show.